Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Every institution has got to somehow be a part of that. So that the guy doing a bakery shop can now get sued because he won't bake a gay wedding cake. That's because of these kinds of decisions. Without these kinds of decisions, they just go find a homosexual who has a bakery or somebody who doesn't care. But oh, no, no, no. They want to persecute the guy who's a Christian who says, I don't, God doesn't want me participating in that. I can't do it. I'll bake you any other kind of cake you want, anything, but I can't do that. Oh, really? We're going to put you out of business. We're going to sue you. That's because of these kinds of decisions. So look, I know the Supreme Court didn't initiate any of this stuff, but they facilitated it. See, and these massive cultural changes they facilitated are still not accepted. I mean, because right now, the guy who wouldn't bake a gay wedding cake is being sued for not being willing to bake a transgender cake. I mean, it, it, just, it just never stops. What's next? But here's the good news. The Supreme Court doesn't have the final say. You do. We do. And see, this is something we need to discuss more as a country. When the Supreme Court makes these bad decisions, we need to be thinking about having constitutional amendments that clarify the Constitution and what it actually means. Instead of just, well, you know, it's over now. No, it's not over. The Supreme Court didn't write the Constitution, and they don't get to have the final say on what it's supposed to mean. The people get the final say. And we can do that by initiating a process of amending the Constitution of the United States to clarify some of these things. So here again, this would be my proposal. For purposes of the Constitution and laws of the United States, marriage shall be a union between one man and one woman, period. You put that in the Constitution, the Supreme Court's done. They've got nothing else to say because the people have spoken. Amen? And on gender, for purposes of the Constitution and laws of the United States, there are two genders, male and female, or man and woman, respectively. The word sex is used in any law of the United States shall refer only to these two genders. Genders shall be fixed and unchangeable based on the existence of the Y chromosome in males and its absence in females and the existence of male genitalia in men and boys and female genitalia in girls and women. Now, that doesn't stop a person from going out and getting hormone treatment and, and trying to change their gender. They can still do that. And anybody who wants to work with them and ag agree with that can still do that. But what it means is when you get ready to run your business and some guy who's been working for you for three years suddenly comes in in high heels and a pink dress and says, I, I don't want to be called James anymore. I now want to be called Jane. You can say to him, well, I'm sorry, that doesn't work here. He can go find a job somewhere where that's okay. But he can't force that on you. So let's come back then. These are the cultural forces, and I haven't named all of them, obviously, that are ripping our country apart right now. I mean, when you get a guy getting arrested at a school board meeting because he says that a, a boy went into the girl's bathroom and raped his daughter, and you've got school board members say, I don't believe that. And then the kid gets con convicted of it and then does it again. And you've got school board members saying, I don't believe that. That's the kind of thing that can lead to violence. Because people are not going to put up with their children being abused and then being told, you're, you're wrong to bring it up. 
And by the way, you know, they hid that. They covered that up. It was a crime, and they covered it up because they didn't want parents to know that all this stuff, they say, oh, that'll never happen. Nobody's going to go into the female restroom and, and, and accost women. That's never going to happen. And it happens. And they don't want you to know that because they want everybody to kind of go along. So all this cultural tension is, is what's driving this sense that, man, are we headed for a civil war? I say, no, we're not, because I got a better answer than that. Amen? So let's come back then to the issue at hand for tomorrow, which is Dr. King was focused on the issue of race and racial justice and racial reconciliation. Now, if the country had continued on the track that Dr. King envisioned, we'd be in a very place right now. But instead, what's happened is we've supplanted his vision of reconciliation and harmony with this vision of constant division and constantly changing the standards and and trying to bring about equality of results. You can't get that. It, it, that's why it's a never-ending quest. And by the way, it's very particular. Because if we were really committed, we, we, we'd have to fire about, um, uh, what, about 75, 80% of the guys who play for the NFL and the NBA because they're all black. We say, that's not right. We're, we got to get some more Asians. Got to get some more Hispanics. We got to get some more white people on the teams. Now, black people can be 12% of the teams, but that's all because that's the only, I mean, nobody thinks like that. But it's only in areas where we see what we call a disparity, where we assume, well, somebody must be doing something racist. Well, is somebody doing something racist to make 75% of the NFL and basketball players black? Or is it just that that's their inclination? It is not a racist conspiracy that the black athletes tend to end up playing basketball or football and not hockey. But you know, you, you, that, that's what they would have. Anywhere you don't see the sufficient representation, which in their minds, do you all know, or I, I, you know, one of the things that, that I love about uh, Thomas Sowell as a scholar, and, and one of the things he points out in many of his books is, there's no such thing as total equity about anything in life, ever. Did you hear the president of the United States? Let me hear again. Lord have mercy. He said this. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And I'm thinking, what? Talent's not equally distributed? Everybody is different. I mean, if talent were equally distributed, I'd be six foot ten making ten million dollars a year playing basketball. <laughs> it's not equally distributed. Nothing in life is. And people have to learn to take their gifts, their talents and abilities and put those to work and become the very best they can be at what it is they choose to do and let the rest fall where it may. But yeah, talent is equally distributed. I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, have mercy. How can you be that dumb? Look, there are people who are gifted. As a, a guy's a football player. They, had, they did a, 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 a profile of him. Absolutely brilliant, genius mathematician. He plays football. And he says, yeah, I do worry about head injuries. He said, because my head... <laughs> It's pretty important. 
It's got some important stuff. I mean, he is doing high level mathematics. So much so when they were talking about some of the things he was doing, for me, he might as well have been speaking Latin. I had no clue what they were talking about. But everybody doesn't have that ability. And, and how many people have that ability and can play football? No, talent is not evenly distributed. It's just that we all have talents and abilities, and then it's up to us to develop those talents and abilities to the fullest, to the highest place we can go with them. Amen? Amen. Amen. And the sad thing is, we've gotten into this equity stuff where, no, 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 we want everybody to be equal at everything, and you can't. That, can't, that won't work. Amen? Amen. Here again, if it did work, instead of Esther singing tomorrow our national anthem, I'd be up there blowing it. <laughs> but I can't do that. So, so these things are said, and they're so silly and so off, and we just, people just kind of accept them without even thinking through them. And see, I think Dr. King, had he been given the time to really develop his thinking, I think he would have, would have realized what we've got to do is move away from categorizing people on the basis of race and simply see every person as an individual, not as part of some collective group. I don't represent black people. I know Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton think they do, but I got news for them. They don't represent me. And I don't even like the idea of walking into a situation and now you're supposed, you're supposed, you're the black representative. So if you're Irish, you got an Irish back, what are you, the Irish representative? You kiss the Blarney Stone and, I mean, or if you're Italian, you're supposed to be able to sing like Frank Sinatra? I mean, this is silliness. It's ungodly is what it is. Because it's, it's not the way God deals with us, amen? But unfortunately, colleges and universities are feeding this collectivist mindset into people. I mean, we fought, and when I say we, I mean the entire society fought to end segregation because we thought it was just bad. Not that people didn't have a right to group however they wanted to, but that they shouldn't be forced to group in certain ways and, 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 and pro prohibited from gathering together with others who might want to gather together with them. We didn't want that. That was, that's, that's unconstitutional, should not be enshrined in our law. And now we've got colleges and universities reversing that and going back to segregation. We've got to have a black graduation. We've got to have a black dormitory. We've got to have a black classroom. Oh, and by the way, you people aren't invited. I mean, that's so ungodly, it's ridiculous. That's why you all heard me say, I don't, I don't believe in the concept of a black church or a white church. I know there are some demographic realities that we just have to contend with, but I don't believe a church ought to ever exclude people on any basis other than, I don't believe in Jesus, but I want to join your church. I actually had a guy say that to me one time. And I said, well, you can't. And he didn't understand that. I had to explain it to him. But it certainly wasn't because of his skin color, because I, I could care less about that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So look, Civil war is not the answer. Riots and looting and all this craziness is not the answer to trying to, to bring us together. Across, because all that does is further divide us, amen? But, but sadly, you know, colleges and universities now are not only teaching kids 
to think of themselves based upon their race, but they're also telling them, you've got to do something about social justice. They're trying to turn, as one teacher said, I've got nine months to turn you into a revolutionary. Now, that's not the answer. Riots, looting, and all that. Amen? Amen. Uh, unfortunately, it does seem to be a default position, and people are on all sides of this. Look, January 6th situation got out of hand and became another one of these protests that morphed into something it shouldn't have been. And by the way, this whole, all this stuff about an insurrection, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, oh, the de our democracy was almost overthrown. Give me a break. They're looking for about 700 people. We got 330 million people in this country. I don't think 700 is enough to overthrow the country. And only about 11 that they think actually were conspiring, thinking that they were going to try to do something to, to congressmen or something like that. I think they, they, they're saying that we have about 11 of those 11 people overthrow our democracy. I mean, this language is used to try to stir us all up. And besides that, the year before, we had 574 riots in over 200 cities. We saw federal buildings burn. We saw police stations burn. We saw place parts of cities cordoned off so police weren't even allowed to come in. And you never heard the words insurrection. Nope. Oh, those are just protests. Got a little bit out of hand. A summer of love, as the mayor of Seattle said. You had hundreds of police officers injured, 30 people killed. But we never turn. But now, all of a sudden, January 6th is an insurrection because, because the mainstream media and those who don't like the patriotism of, and the constitutional principles that may have driven some of those people to be there uh, thought, well, yeah, these these are clearly bad people. Those folks, all those folks who robbed and stole and cheated and and and, and hurt people. Oh, that. I mean, Sequoia um, Williams down in Atlanta. She, her mother was trying to get past a Black Lives Matter blockade and they shot into the car and killed an eight-year-old girl. But you won't hear that plastered all over the news because after all, that doesn't, that doesn't match our narrative. Oh, no, no. We only make, it, it's only big news if a police officer is involved. And by the way, I don't agree with what, what those protesters did in going into the Capitol uh, on that day. I wouldn't have participated in that. I wouldn't have been a part of that at all. Well, all I'm saying is this, this, this kind of, of skewed vision and version where on one side, everything is justifiable. And then on the other side, oh, no, oh, no, no, those, oh, those, those are, oh, those are bad people. You got to get rid of them. You got to do something about them. And can I just say this to you all? Can you all receive this? Are you all ready for this? Ashley Babbitt, a veteran, shouldn't have been doing what she was doing, trying to get inside the Capitol, shot in the face dead. She was unarmed. She's a veteran who served this country honorably. Now, you and I all know. It was a black cop who shot her. You and I, every single one of us knows. If that had been a Black Lives Matter con, uh, 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 protest, and a black woman going into the Capitol had been shot in the face, dead, unarmed by a white cop. It would have been front page news all over this country. And you know it and I know it. Racist, racist, racist. See, look, as far as I'm concerned, it might have been appropriate for it to be face front page news. 
but it is just as equally important then that it be front page news for Ashley Babbitt to have been murdered that way. I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. See, that's, this is what creates the division. People see this kind of, this, this kind of skewed, off-balance approach to things, and, and they think, well, I, I said two things. If you convince people that the criminal justice system is gone, then why in the world would I submit to an arrest? And if you convince people that the electoral system is gone, why does the election matter? Let's fight it out. And anybody who's got good sense wants everybody in the country to be convinced and to do everything in our power to convince everybody in the country that both of those will work the same for everybody. Understanding that they won't work perfectly because people are not perfect. If it's perfection, you're expecting or nothing <laughs> then there's really no hope because that's not going to happen until the kingdom of God. But what you expect is a sincere, good faith effort to make things work the same way for everybody. Amen? That's what Dr. King was after. He wasn't interested in vengeance and, 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 and reparations and, and we got to have equity and diversity which, which, by the way, I mean, those are, just, those are just code names for collectivism and socialism, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Because you know, don't you, that right now, what happened to the Jews when the Jews first came here, when the Jews arrived in America, after, primarily after World War I, they scored among the lowest group of people and, and all the groups that were scored, because they were scoring them as a result of people who joined the army, and that's what they were using those as as a sort of testing sites, they are scored as having the lowest IQs of any group. Yep, absolutely. And as a result, a military official said, so the myth of Jews being smart is not true. But 25 years later, they were scoring at the top because they worked. It's not because they were beloved, not because, oh, yes, let's, let's open up the doors. No, it wasn't that. No, it was because they made up their minds they wanted to do something, and nothing was going to stop them from achieving. Well, when that began to happen, you know what else happened? You started having negative quotas against too many Jews getting into Ivy League schools. And now the same thing is happening to Asians. If the problem with the tests is just... Oh, those tests are biased against people of color and they're biased socially uh, in favor of white people. How do Asians get here in the first generation outscore white people? Because that's not what it is. It's, it's, it's the work ethic. It's the determination to do well. And by the way, Asians do better on standardized tests and academically than all of Native Americans. All, that is all uh, people who are part of this country uh, from several generations. They outscore Americans of European ancestry. They outscore Americans of African ancestry. They outscore Americans of Hispanic. They are at the top. And it's not because they're genetically superior. You know, when they come here with a sense of what it is to live in a nation without freedom, and they see opportunity, and they're going for it. They don't see themselves as victims. They see themselves as people in pursuit of the very best that this country has to offer. All right. Dr. King articulated 
this kind of vision. Here's just some excerpts from some of the things he said that we, we often don't think about or analyze, but it was about individual liberty and personal responsibility. He said in his I Have a Dream speech, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. See, it was, it was a vision of us coming together, not a vision of us being ripped apart. I have a dream that one day our nation will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. In other words, where they will be looked upon as what? Individuals. Not as reflective of some group mentality, but as individuals. So I have a dream that one day little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. Amen. And here's some other speeches that you, you know, some of his other writings, things that didn't, weren't as popular as the I have a dream speech. But listen to the spirit of this. The goal of our movement is redemption and reconciliation, the creation of the beloved community. Well, you're not hearing that today. No. We don't get our way. We're going to tear this thing down. He says, hate tears down and destroys. Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. And finally, he said, it is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding and goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. See, he understood the ultimate goal is to change the human heart. And that you can't do that without God. You know, we forget that, that Martin Luther King was a minister. And by the way, he wasn't perfect either. I know that. And I had some people say, how, how come you think so much of Dr. King? You know, there were some things revealed about his life. And I say, look, in the same way that I feel about the founding fathers, they weren't perfect either. But the question is, in what way did God use them to serve us? That's what we're honoring. I mean, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. If somebody wants to look hard enough, they can find something bad in anybody's life. But, but the question is, what is God doing by his grace, by his mercy? What is he doing in your life? That's why I have such admiration for what this man represented, which, as I've just read to you, is so different than what we're hearing today. Now, look. Dr. King, when he began the civil rights movement, was not saved. He said so. I'm not telling tales out of school. He said that his first encounter with God, he became a minister because it was the family business. His grandfather was a minister. His father was a minister. He became a minister. Got educated in a fine school, and I think a very liberal school, but that's another matter. Um, but when his house got bombed, he said, sitting alone in that rubble, thinking about what he had gotten himself into, he began to pray. He said, and for the first time in his life, he felt the presence of God. 
And that was when he knew that this was ultimately not about politics, but this was about a mission that God himself had given him. That's when the reality of God came home to him. That's when he understood he was not on his own, but that God was there protecting him. That's what allowed him to say uh, in that final speech that he gave in Memphis, he said, like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I just want to do God's will. How, how often do you hear that from leaders today? I just want to do God's will. What we're hearing from so often is God's will has no part here, has no place here. But he said, I just want to do God's will. He said, and he's allowed me to go up on the mountain. I've seen the promised land. He said, I may not get there with you, but I know that we as a people will get to the promised land. He said, so I'm happy tonight. He said, I'm not fearing any man because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. See, I really believe that Dr. King saw an awakening happening in America because that's the answer. The answer is not civil war. We don't need a civil war in our country. And by the way, you know what? Truth be told, the civil rights movement is over. It's over. We don't have widespread denial of people's civil rights today, except in my view, among Christians, <laughs> where Christians are often being discriminated against because we believe in God and want to adhere to God's word. You know, we need, we need a civil responsibility movement. We need a civil responsibility movement. And that's where I told my wife I'm going to end. <laughs> because if I don't, I'll launch off into another 45 minutes. When we come back, we're going to talk about a civil responsibility movement. Because look, what is our vision for the future of the country? What's the, what's, what's the vision for it? You want your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to grow up in a country where they go, they go to school and they're taught, well, you're an oppressed, you're the oppressed. And then they tell another child, you're the oppressor. So you, you child, you seven-year-old, you apologize to this seven-year-old because this seven-year-old skin is darker. You apologize to this seven-year-old for all the sins that your ancestors committed against their ancestors. I mean, is that what you want for the country? Because that's what we've got now. That's exactly what we're getting. And you know what? That's not God's plan for this nation. God's plan for this nation, he said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have in our, in our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, Amen. under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Because that's the only way you're going to have liberty and justice for all. You're not going to get through Marxism and socialism. You're not going to get it through collectivism. You're going to get it through God. Because it's a matter of the human heart. You know, people say, well, you, 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 can't, you can't be racist unless you have power. Give me a break. Some group of kids go to hurt somebody because of the color of their skin and kill them. You say, well, they, they, well that, that couldn't be racism because uh, they were black and the black people don't have power. Ask the person they killed. I mean, that's silliness. That's, that's just a bunch of Marxist garbage. The problem is the human heart. The problem is not social justice or social injustice or racial injustice. The problem is the depravity of the human heart, and there's only one antidote to it, Amen. and his name is Jesus. Amen. That's what we need. We need Jesus, Amen. because otherwise, if the devil gets his way, there will be a civil war. If he gets his way, but we're not going to give him his way. Amen? Amen. <laughs> For greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We're going to hold fast to that positive 
vision that Dr. King had of a beloved community of people sitting down at the table of brotherhood rather than tearing each other apart on the basis of the sins of the past. Come on, stand up on your feet and give God praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What do you see?